Hello, and welcome to The Realm. I'm Dr. D. I bring the strategy. And I'm Dr. K. I bring the psychology. We are business psychologists and your guides to the executive realm, where we bring strategy and psychology together. So you can bring your best to your C-suite, your teams, and your customers. Today, we'll be talking about closing the gender gap, exploring why this is such a sticky issue, and capture strategies to bring gender balance and equity to your organization. So let's get to work. Dr. K, this is a sticky issue. Why do people have such a hard time talking about gender in the workplace? I think that there are multiple reasons that people have difficulty with this. And to be honest, I don't believe it's just a sticky topic within business. I think the topic can be sticky due to people's upbringings, childhoods, what was modeled to them, their beliefs, where they are from, you know, things like that. I think there are a lot of factors, a lot of influences on why this continues to happen. There are so many facets to why this is such an issue, especially now with how we are bringing the situation to light more, kind of a tornado at the moment. And we don't know how to, how to measure the tornado. As I think about the workplace and as a leader, it's, it's difficult as a male to say, this is what I think we should do for women. That doesn't feel right. But it's okay to have the conversation. It's okay to talk about it. I mean, in reality, the Fortune 500 boardroom has less than 20% of the board seats occupied by women. In the last 10 years or so, about 40% of board replacement seats have been filled by women, but that's still not more than 50%. That's not going to get us to gender balance at the board level. If I remember correctly, we are still about 100 years to minimizing the gender gap. There are countries where women have minimal opportunities in any form of business. In an overall sense, it could be 100 years before we get to where uh, there is a lot more gender equality within an organization's. There may be other countries where it is much better, where we're a little bit more you know, gender balanced. However, a hundred years away to get to where women have the same rights, have the same pay, equal pay, equal pay for their experience, equal pay for their education. A hundred years is ridiculous. It is fascinating because organizations have a couple of things working against them and trying to address this. There's structural bias built in all over the place in organizations. I don't think it's people intentionally trying to exclude women from the workplace, but clearly there are hiring practices in place. There are other things that happen in our culture that prevent women from achieving gender equality in the workplace. And I'm not saying that this is the women's fault that they can't achieve gender equality. What I mean is there are forces working against this equality. And even if an organization decided we are going to have gender equality on our board, we're going to have gender equality in our leadership roles, we're going to have gender equality in our C-suite, you can't just say, okay, we're going to fire two-thirds of the men that are in those positions and replace them with women or that sort of thing. That's not a fair and equitable way to approach the problem. You can't just 
arbitrarily add seven more board seats and say, we're going to fill them exclusively with women. You can't pervert your hiring practices to say, we're going to fill roles only with women until we get to this gender balance that we're looking for. But many organizations don't look at it objectively. Many don't even really understand where they are. The challenge with that is if an organization decides, wow, we have a gender imbalance problem that we want to rectify, it could open the Pandora's box of legal issues to say, well, if we have a largely male-dominated leadership team and we uncovered that there was some systematic bias in our hiring practices, are we opening ourselves to exposure, to risk, to legal action as we are really trying to work and do the right thing and make sure that we're rooting out any opportunity for, for gender bias? From my psychology viewpoint, everyone has to learn, including organizations. I'm often telling clients, you know what, you're going to make mistakes, but mistakes aren't the end of the world. They are experiences that you learn from. We need to make changes. And making changes is a sign of progression, a sign of improvement. But learning from the mistakes and making those changes will change the process, will improve the way organizations run. Even with really good hiring practices being followed, There are situations where gender plays a part. You think about computer programming and engineering, which is largely male-dominated. It's very, very difficult to hire an equitable number of women. Now, you can certainly ensure pay equity. One of the positive benefits of this transition due to COVID to working from home is that one of the reasons that women don't get hired as frequently into leadership positions is because they all have gaps in their work history. They, when you have a male and a female in their mid to late thirties or early forties, and the male has a consistent work history of progressing up the leadership chain and the female raised a family and then came back into the workplace and has a gap in their work history, a hiring leader might say, well, this person just has more relevant experience to what I'm looking for. It's not intentional, but you have to weed those perceptions and those perspectives out of the hiring practice. Really, yes, one person has more experience over the other, but the other might bring more to the table. When hiring is so competitive at leadership levels, you do have to suspend some disbelief about some things that you're seeing and make decisions about who you're going to hire in excess of what the traditional hiring would be. If you are a hiring leader and every resume that you see and every candidate that you see or 90% are male, there's a 90% chance that you're going to hire a male into the role. You need to be making sure there is gender balance in the recruiting process as well and that you're seeing every available candidate with equity. Human capital and recruiting teams need to be measuring and looking for these opportunities where gender bias might be creeping into the hiring process unintentionally. Absolutely. Something that came to mind is blind hiring process Mm -hmm. where we took out names. We took kind of out the demographics of the person. Yeah. If you, if you see a resume, that's a Jeanette or a Janelle or a Janiqua in your resume pile, it has been proven through research that those with ethnic and female names tend to 
get passed over. But if you can blind those sensory indicators, it makes a big difference in terms of who makes it to the next stage. Absolutely. The gender gap is very interesting for me because I've worked in three fields altogether. And the first field was very, was kind of a mix, a mixed blend. However, one company that I worked for when I uh, bartended for an extended period of time, they rarely had male bartenders. Hmm. They wanted the female faces in the front of the restaurant ready to go. That's what you see when you walked in because their research found that patrons liked females. And then in the fitness field, I was both a fitness instructor and a personal trainer. When I was a personal trainer, that was a mixed bag. It was very back and forth. But as a fitness instructor itself, uh, it was more female dominated. And now being in uh, you know, a, the psychology world and more of a therapist, I have found that it seems as a therapist, it's more female dominated, but I do work with psychiatrists and that tends to be more male dominated. Mm -hmm. So it's very back and forth for me, understanding why in this field we go this way, because I know some really great male therapists. I also know some really amazing male bartenders. And I also know some amazing female psychiatrists. So it's, it's interesting that in, just in the world of psychology itself, it's depending on which field you're going towards or which, uh, yeah, I guess field we could say, field that you're going to, it changes who holds more of the gender in that field. After the military, I started out in customer service and that was largely female dominated. Now I was an engineer who did customer service. And so I started out in a male subsection of a largely female-dominated workplace. But through a good part of my career, my leaders have been women. People that I've reported to, and frankly, many of the best leaders that I've reported to have been female. I probably underestimated this gender imbalance in the workplace as I developed into leadership roles. But as I became exposed more to C-suites and boardrooms, I noticed the pattern of white male-dominated leadership teams. As you mentioned, there are things outside in our culture that are influencing the way people approach the topic. So it's really important organizations try to remove the lens because there is a tendency for organizations to approach it as rose-colored glasses. And most organizations don't measure this effectively. An organization will tend to put a measurement together and try to reflect them in the best light. The need of the measurement is to really identify where there are areas of opportunity within the organization. So so I am curious, why do you think it is difficult for males to discuss this topic and ask questions, even in just normal conversation with a female coworker? Why do you think it's difficult for males to discuss this? It's really difficult to talk about, and I'm, I'm use, using air quotes here, the other as though you know what needs to happen. I have ideas on how to increase, achieve gender balance within the workplace, but I'm not in human capital, but how do I influence the change? It always raises the question, is it my place to champion women's causes in the workplace? It feels awkward to try to represent the plight of another when 
you haven't experienced those things yourself. I recognize that it's important, but I'm not quite sure how to effectuate change and be a champion of that change. It's just difficult. If you ask questions and bring, you know, and so that you can not identify with because, you know, you're male, you're never going to be able to identify with, you know, the things that I go through as a female, but to better understand so that you can empathize and then provide that support. So I really don't have a problem talking about it when asked. There needs to be a nucleation point for the conversation. And I think this is where an organization that has oriented its mission towards the customer and saying, we are going to reflect our values of equality and inclusion in the workplace. I think that's a great nucleation point. But those words don't mean very much unless you can speak with fact and say, we have a metric. If you have a board holding your management team accountable and it's followed up with real incentive, it will effectuate change. But I think what happens is the organizations have aspirational goals, really believes it and has it in their mission statement, has it in their vision statement and says, we are an inclusive organization, but the actions feel less than tangible. It's really difficult for an organization to say, we are going to achieve this goal when there's not a measurement in place. Leaders need to be held accountable. Targets need to be developed. And the organization needs to march towards achieving some new level of equity within their organization that can be quantified. And I think that's where organizations have a really, really hard time. So how do you feel that leaders can prepare? This is a very large topic, a very sensitive topic, but a topic that's not going anywhere. Based on our conversation, I think there are a few areas that are ripe for focus. First, an organization has to understand and align their equity priorities. Define what equity means to your organization. Second, get an honest gender equity measure. Use ratio measurement for percentage of board seats, for percentage of executive leadership, for each management level and pay equity, use these individual measures to create a weighted metric for gender equity in your organization. It's critically important to hold leadership accountable. Start at the board level, focus on gender balance, and create an equity inclusion board committee focused on eliminating implicit and structural biases in the workplace. Of course, work with your corporate legal and human capital teams to understand and minimize exposure as the organization embarks on improvement initiatives. And utilize expertise and these measures to uncover areas of focus to improve equity in the workplace. Explore recruiting and hiring practices to ensure unintentional systematic biases are not built into the process. Leverage these metrics to identify areas of opportunities and develop strategies and tactics to align the organization. It is a very big problem. And it's a big challenge to talk about and discuss. But at the end of the day, organizations are designed to tackle tough problems. That's all there is to it. So, Dr. K, what's on tap for next week? Well, next week, we will be talking about the perception of leadership in the ivory tower, exploring why employees develop the perception of the distance and disconnected leadership team and why it is important for executives to make sure they are available. Very good. 
I know, and I'm super excited for this one. As a leader, sometimes you fall into that trap. All right. Well, great conversation. And to all of you joining us on this journey to the realm, thanks so much. I am Dr. D. And I'm Dr. K. And we are looking forward to your next visit to the executive realm.